but I want to start with a question. How many of you either owned one of these or know what it looks like or knows what this is? All right, a lot of you guys, yeah, you're like, yeah, well, WWJD, what does it stand for? What would Jesus do? So you guys are saying, what would Jesus do? Yeah, right? This was, this was a huge phenomenon, in a, especially the Christian subculture, right, that it was popular in. It actually kind of exploded out of that, too. And people that weren't a part of that culture started wearing these kinds of things around. It was huge. This one article I read said there was like 52 million of these bracelets sold uh, just in that time frame. The one on the right is like the, the original, what they started making them as. And then, of course, they've updated them over the years to the ones on the left. But these were pretty big deal, right? And then and it's kind of like, so you guys remember the fidget spinners? Does anyone still have a fidget spinner, right? Like how popular those things got, right? It's, they were like that huge in popularity, right? They were kind of a fad and really exploded to, to more of the culture uh, around it. But uh, the message behind it was actually a good message too, right? It was, what would Jesus do? Right? It was a question. And for those that wore it, it would help them keep in mind Jesus and what he would do in their situation, what he would do uh, to love those people that you're interacting with and the decisions that you had to make. You'd be like, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? Right? It was helping you remember to ask that question and keep that on the front of your mind. Um, so it's a great message, and I want to actually look at the history uh, of where this came from and then kind of what's happened to this message of WWJD. Um, but it started with uh, this pastor named Charles Sheldon, uh, who had this sermon series that kind of captured this idea and this started the phrase. He eventually put it into a book called, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? So that's where the phrase came from, from this pastor, What Would Jesus Do? Uh, and eventually a youth leader named uh, Janie Tinklenberg read this book and tried to figure out a way to help her students grasp this idea and take it with them and remember this. She's like, we can put the phrase on a shirt, a hoodie, a hat, something along those lines. She eventually came up with the four-letter acronym, WWJD, so that was her idea, and she put it on bracelets, right, and it became huge, right, it became huge. Unfortunately, the companies she was buying the bracelets from realized this was getting huge. So they started selling their own WWJD bracelets. Then other companies saw that company and they put WWJD on everything, right? It became huge and as glad as Janie was to see the message get pushed out to all these other places, she kind of was a little late in kind of stopping the craziness of, of push of a commercialism, right? She, she actually was too late to get the patent and the trademark on it. And what was happening was, it would, instead of just being this message of what would Jesus do, it just kind of became the cool thing to do, right? And also, for these companies, it became just for commercialism. It came just to make money. The message of the acronym got lost and traded its value for that of commercialism. Sometimes I wonder if that's happening with the word Christian today. A word that normally and easily referred to someone that was really kind and loving to other people. The more people I interact with, I come into more and more people, contact with people that have been hurt by Christians and know them by how rude they are or how hateful they tend to be rather than loving, which her breaks my heart because that's the last thing that I want to do. The last thing I want to be known for and do is push someone away from Jesus because of what I've said or what I've done. It just breaks my heart to feel that that may be the case. 
And we've been looking at uh, this series where we're talking about how we grow in our relationship and uh, as we follow Jesus. And the area we're going to look at today is this love for other people, how we love the people that Jesus loves. And this series really has been building on itself. And we laid the foundation with the fact that it's all about that relationship with Jesus. And that's what it's all about. And everything that we're going to talk about kind of goes back to that relationship. Uh, And to look at the different facets of all this, we've kind of asked them in the forms of questions. So the first question we looked at was, is our understanding of God's love growing more and more? And Jeff laid the foundation with that one. It started us off with that. Give us 14 attributes of God's love, which isn't even all of them, right? And challenge us to go just reflect on God's love, which is a great challenge uh, and a great way to just reflect on God's love Last week, Pastor uh, Jonathan Carey from the Norton campus came and shared with us the next question, which was, is our understanding for God, or is our love for God growing more and more, right? Kind of the reciprocal of that. Is our love for God growing more and more, right? And he, he kind of talked about this idea of love languages, right? God has a specific way that we love him, right? It's not how we want to love him, right? He, he wants us our, our undivided attention, right? He wants the relationship, not just the rituals. He wants us to obey him, not just to follow all these rules that he put down. He wants us to love him and to listen to him because we love him. And so today we're going to address the next question. Am I loving the people Jesus loves? Am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? So this week is the hinge week. So we've been looking at uh, God's love for us and understanding that more and more. And as we grow in our love for him more and more, we then naturally are affected in our life. Our life looks different. As we grow in those two areas, our actions change. Our life looks different. And that's what we're going to look at kind of for the rest of the weeks. And this is the first one. And the action that we're going to look at that's different because of the more we grow with this love of God is our love for others. So the action we're looking at is the love for others that we have. And so to reflect this and to look uh, at this, I want to actually look at uh, the people that Jesus loves and specifically the disciples that he loves. We're going to look at a couple of him here. So the question is, who are the people that Jesus loves? Who are we be loving more and more? So go ahead and open up to John 13, uh, yeah, John 13, starting in 34. Uh, That's the page number if you guys have a black Bible back there. If you need one of those, you can raise your hand. Um, Steve will get one for you. But uh, you can also tap open to our app or follow along up here on the screen. But as you guys flip there, this passage uh, comes right after the Last Supper. Uh, So it's a very intimate time with his disciples. And Jesus is talking to his close 12 disciples here. And he had just washed their feet and he just served them, showed them what it looked like to do that. Uh, And this is right before he goes to the cross as well to be crucified. So this is right at the end of his life and an intimate time with his disciples that he gives them this this command, right? These these ways to love each other and uh, this example to follow. So let's go ahead and look at it. John 13, starting in 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So just these two verses are packed with the instructions of how to love other people and this example that he set before them. And sometimes we think of the disciples as like these really righteous and perfect people, right? 
the rabbi-disciple relationship that uh, Jeff talked about in the first week uh, in that culture, the rabbi would usually go and find the best of the best people to be uh, following them around and to be learning their life as a rabbi. Right? They would go to the best people. But that's not who Jesus went to. Right? These guys were pretty far from that. Right? They were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. Right? It, they were, had all these different backgrounds that they came from. They weren't perfect, but Jesus still called them to follow him. Jesus still calls them and loves them, and we're called to love those kinds of people too. So here in the verse, it's, as I have loved you. And so that you there is the disciples, which is who we're going to look at. But my first question, as soon as I read that, was, has I loved you? Well, how did Jesus love the disciples? Immediately before this passage, right, he washed their feet, kind of served them in that way. Maybe that's what came to mind for them. What else do you think was going through their minds? As they thought back over their life of following Jesus, looking at the different ways that either he loved others and loved them, or maybe the lifestyle that they came from and the way that he called them out of that to follow him and loved them that way. It was probably different for various in each disciple. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at uh, four groups of disciples. There's two disciples that fall in, this, in, in one group. We're going to look at four or five of the disciples and then see how those correlate with four groups of people that we're called to love today in the same way that Jesus loved his disciples that were like that. So let's go ahead and start with Andrew and Philip. Andrew and Philip are the first two we're going to look at. These guys are kind of the same. Uh, But they're not as popular, right, as some of the other disciples. We don't know as much about them in in Scripture. They're not talked about as much. But we do know that they were fishermen. They were part of the 12, and they were some of the first ones to follow Jesus. They're also known as finders of people. Finders of people. And the reason they were known for that is because as soon as they met Jesus, they went and found someone else to bring to Jesus, right? So Andrew brought Peter. Peter was his brother. And so he went and Peter came to Jesus and he eventually became a really passionate person for Jesus, right? Uh, so Andrew brought Peter and uh, Philip brought Nathaniel, who would also become another one of the 12 disciples. Uh, so both of these guys, as soon as they talked and met Jesus, they went and found someone else, which is exactly what Jesus is gonna tell all of his disciples to do at the end of his, of his life, he's like, hey, go and make more disciples, right? He's, they're already doing what he's t- gonna eventually tell all of them to do, right? They understood his message. They got it. They listened to him. So usually the people that listen to us are a little bit easier to love, right? Now, these guys were by no means perfect, but they really grasped the message, right? They got what he was going for. And so who is Jesus loving here? I think we see people that are easier to love. Those that are easier to love is who we see here. And I don't want to leave these people out. And uh, because sometimes we forget to love those that are easy to love. Even though they're easy doesn't necessarily mean we're loving them. Or maybe we don't necessarily love them well either. Um, the person that comes to mind to, for me is my mom, right? She always loves me in many different ways, uh, but various different things. Uh, but for example, um, so uh, I've been doing CrossFit pretty much since I've started here with uh, working with Jeff because he's got his own little gym thing. 
There have been plenty of times where I've lost my lunch or I've almost passed out, but lots of good memories there. But the point is, so uh, when I started working out, I had my own like running shoes or whatever it is. And for those of you that know, usually when working out in CrossFit and things like that, CrossFit has their own kind of like shoe that's like all these different kinds of shoes. Uh, they're made specifically to help you with lifting. They're a little bit tougher, help you climb different things, all sorts of different stuff. So ever since I started that, I've wanted to get my own pair because my running shoes just really would get destroyed pretty quickly. So this whole time I'm wanting these, these CrossFit shoes and just this past, my past birthday, my mom got me a pair. And of course, her getting me that or just different other things, right? It's really easy to love her because she's done that for me, right? She's very loving to me, so it's easier to love her back, right? But just because I'm like, oh, that's nice or oh, she loves me, doesn't mean I'm loving her back, right? People see our love for other people and know we love, or know us as Christ's disciples because they see our love. It's because our love is action. Our love isn't just the thoughts that we have or just thinking, oh, that's great, right? Still need to go and love the people that are easy to love, right? Don't want to leave this group out. So who's that in your life? Who's easy to love that maybe you've forgotten to lately or neglected a little bit? Uh, someone that's close to you, that, that loves you really well, you just maybe haven't loved them back as well as Jesus loves those here. So that's, that's the first group that we see, those that are easy to love. Uh, the next disciple I want to look at is Simon. Simon. And Simon was known as what is called a zealot. Right? And so a zealot back then was this like these fanatical Jewish nationalists that were really crazed for hating the Romans, right? They just would go to very extreme ends, violent ends usually uh, to, to uphold their beliefs and what they stood for. So Simon was one of those guys that at the drop of a hat, he was ready to fight someone, right? If something was wrong or they, they said something, he was ready to just take off and fight them, right? So I could totally see Jesus just having to rein in Simon time and time again. No, don't chop off. No, that's a Roman soldier. We're not gonna kill him today, right? He's like, no, we're coming to love people, not to kill them, right? He's probably a little frustrated, probably a little irritated by how he had to interact with him or the fact that just they believed in the same thing, right? They believed in God and believed in the Old Testament books, right, the Torah, but they just believed slightly different on how to carry those out. So they had slightly different beliefs, just a little bit irritating to deal with, right? But Jesus still loved him. He still called him to follow him and loved him, still washed his feet. Simon would eventually, right, follow and believe more of uh, the ways that Jesus loved people and fall into that as well. Um, but he still had the initial choice of going and loving him, even though he believed a little bit differently, even though he was a little bit irritating, so who do we see that Jesus is loving here? Those that disagree and irritate. Those that disagree and irritate. Who's that in your life? Right? Those that can be all kinds of people, really, because we disagree on so many different topics, right? Which can be challenging, because some of those things are really huge. Things like religion, right? things like political views, gun laws, things like that, or gender views, things like that that are really tough to get past. But loving someone doesn't mean we agree with them. Loving someone doesn't mean we agree with them. And we're still called to love those people that we disagree with. Right? People that sometimes disagree with us so strongly that it's kind of irritating, right? And a little bit frustrating. There's some big issues, for sure, they're hard. But we're still called to love those people. Grace and I had this, uh, basically our first argument uh, when we met each other. It was very huge, big, 
I can't keep a straight face, but it's uh, disagreement over how to make a PB&J sandwich, okay? Yes, I know. Who's felt the struggle before, right? There's different ways between service, after service yesterday, I had people coming up, no, no, this is how you actually make a PB&J sandwich. I'm like, whoa, okay, didn't realize there were that many ways. But we disagreed on how to make a PB&J sandwich. And this started with uh, that we went on a service trip together in our high school. Um, and each day we'd go to a different service organization. So we had to pack our lunches the night before uh, so that we could just take them in the morning and go eat them at the place we were serving. And so it was during this week that we started to get to know each other and became really good friends. Um, and things just started clicking. And, uh, but this, this, this conversation about PB&J was really our first argument. It's kind of funny to always refer to it. There's always been bigger things we disagree upon, but this one's pretty funny. But I thought, and I think still, the best way to make a PB&J sandwich is you take both pieces of bread, put peanut butter on one side, peanut butter on the other side, and then jelly, you guys are like, oh no. <laughs> jelly in the middle, and then you make the sandwich, put it back in, and you're good to go, you're good for the rest of the day, right? Yeah, some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, what, yeah, what? Her way was you put peanut butter on one side, Jelly on the other, put it together, put it in the sandwich, and you're good to go, okay? Somebody goes like, yes, that is right. What are you doing, Josiah? All right, yeah. Don't plot, no, no. <laughs> but we disagreed, right? And as much as I'd like to say my way was the best, and we ended up finding that out, we, we were so concerned with figuring this out, we pulled the people in the group and the rest of the service, like, what do you think is the best way? If we get the most people on our side, then that's proof, right? And we ended up finding a compromise and realized that there's different places to make both different kinds of sandwiches. If you're trying to make a sandwich for the next day, you should put peanut butter on both sides and jelly in the middle. Because if you make it like she does, if you put jelly on one side, peanut butter on the other, what happens in the next day? It's soggy. Yank. Yeah, exactly. You get there. She has, hers has a way too. Don't worry. It's in there. All right. So then it's like, hey, you know what? Then it's good. It's not soggy. That's a way, great way to do it. But if you're looking to make it right then, if you're not a huge fan of peanut butter, right, it's easier to just put it on one side, put it on the other side, and you can eat it right then, and you're good to go. Uh, you don't have to worry about ratios as much. It'll be easier to put it on, right? <laughs> Different ways to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but we disagreed on how to do that. And in all seriousness, as we, there's plenty of other bigger things that we disagree upon. Um, and plenty of other people that we run into that have bigger issues where we disagree. Things like political views, right? religious understandings, and uh, it, gender stuff as well. That's really difficult, this, especially this day and age. Right? These things that people disagree upon, we're still called to love them, though. We can still love them in this way. Love them as Jesus loves. So who's that in your life? Who is that that you disagree with this difficult thing it's hard to get past them in that relationship with this thing you disagree upon. Can you love them still? Let's, let's love them as Jesus loves. So that's the second person, second group of people that we see. Uh, let's move on to the next one. The next one is Matthew. Matthew is the next disciple we're going to look at. And Matthew, what was unique about him was that he was a tax collector, right? He was a tax collector. So tax collectors charged tolls and taxes on behalf of the Roman government, right? Pretty straightforward. Um, and they usually liked to hire locals. So you had like Jews collecting from Jews and things like that. That was just a job. And so for them to make money, they would tack on a little bit extra uh, 
from the taxes that they took from someone so that they can make some and then still get the taxes to the government. So, for example, uh, if someone owed them 20 bucks, they would charge them $22, and then that way they would pay their taxes, Rome would get their money, and then they would make two bucks off the exchange, right? So they still, it all happened and they made their money. Problem with that, right, is it had a lot of room for greed and a lot of room for corruption. Right? They could just tack on more and more, and a lot of them ended up doing that, right? So this group, just tax collectors in general, no one ended up liking, right, because of that. And the group goes further because when with the Jews, they really hated the oppression of the Roman government that they felt. And it goes even further still when you have a Jew collecting from another Jew because then they feel betrayed, right? So this group of tax collectors gets labeled as sinners, right? betrayers, uh, robbers. Like this group of people that are tax collectors, nobody liked, nobody did. And this is what Matthew is called out of. Jesus calls Matthew out of this. And there's a good chance he was hated by some of the other disciples, especially Simon the Zealot who hates Romans in general, right? He probably had to break up a few fights. But Jesus still called and loved him. No one liked him as a tax collector. No one liked what he did. And he also invited Jesus, invited plenty of other people like that into his life. People that were rejected by society, that weren't popular, that weren't liked in general. So who is Jesus loving through Matthew, the tax collector, and these kind of people? Those that nobody likes. Those that nobody likes. Who in your life is like that? Right, someone that's unpopular for whatever reason or just disliked in general. Have you ever felt a need to love those kind of people? Felt a tug on your heart to love them as Jesus loved? Or have you maybe been one of those? How much of a difference would have that made in your life if someone came and loved you? We can make that difference in other people's lives that way by going and loving those people that are rejected by society, that are unloved, unliked, unpopular? Who do you need to love that no one else likes? The final disciple that I wanna look at is Judas. And this was the guy that betrayed Jesus. He, he kinda handed him over to the, uh, the Jews to take him to be crucified. And he was known as traitor. He was called the son of destruction, right? It's kind of what his name means there. Uh, his name actually even became an adjective. So if your name becomes an adjective, it's probably not a good thing, right? If you look up a Judas, it's a person that betrays a friend. A person that betrays a friend. And so there were not just this time at the end of his life, but there were many times that Judas was seen as unreliable, dishonest, disloyal, and didn't care for the people that Jesus cared for. This was actually kind of seen throughout his life. But Jesus still loved him. He still washed his feet. He still chose him as his disciple, even though he probably knew that he was going to betray him, probably knew that he was doing some shady business, right? knew that he wasn't loving people the way he should be. Yet Jesus still loved him. He respected him, even though he was difficult to love. So what kind of person do we see here through Judas? We see those that are difficult to love. Those that are difficult to love. Those that betray us, hurt us, or simply just really hard to love for whatever reason. Who is that in your life? And I know that the the challenge sometimes is to think that those people in our lives are just unlovable. We've tried 
and they're just unlovable. But I really want to caution you with that term. I don't think that should ever be used to describe someone. No one's unlovable. Maybe unlovely, but never unlovable. That goes against the message of the gospel. Sometimes we're like, well, I will love them if... There should never be an if, right? That's not what it means to follow Jesus. That may have been an attitude that we have had in the past when we've, before we followed Jesus, but as we continue to grow in our love for God more and more, and as we continue to understand his love for us, we love other people. We love the unlovely. We love those that are difficult to love. Judas was the one that probably, if anyone could be called unlovable, probably him. But not even him was called unlovable. Jesus still loved him. He still respected him. No one is unlovable in God's eyes. We see this concept really throughout scripture, but I want to bring up Romans 5. I think that really captures this idea. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were powerless, ungodly, and sinners, that's who Jesus died for. Not when we were at our best, right? But when we were at our worst. Take a moment and think when you've been at your worst, when you are at your worst. Would you want to be with you? (laughs) I wouldn't want to be with me. But God is. God's still there with us, and he loves us still. So if God still loves us when we're at our worst, we can also love other people when they're at their worst and when they're difficult to love. It's the best way that we can express the gospel. I know this is a hard thing, and it's probably still something you're wrestling with after I've said it. One of our values over there, it's the one in the back, it's we do hard things. We do hard things. We choose to do them. This is one of those things that we have to choose to do. A hard thing for sure, loving the unlovely. I had a uh, teammate in uh, the travel soccer league that I played in when I was a little bit younger. Um, and he was one of those that was difficult to love. Uh, I played with a, in a close position on the field. So we were both midfielders. So we were constantly going back and forth and communicating together. Um, and I could, because I was so close, I could always hear the words that he was yelling at the other team and tearing them down. Could hear the words that he would yell at me and the rest of the team, tearing us down when we made a mistake or just blaming us for whatever he did, right? Wrong or in general, just blaming us and yelling at us, tearing us down. It made it very difficult to just be on the field with him. Very discouraging. Not only that, but in, in practice too, he'd be late. He'd, if you were his partner, he would just tear you apart and make you feel terrible about yourself. Uh, he would just blame everyone else for all the problems. What was annoying was that he was actually pretty good. So we needed him on the field. We needed him to be there, right? I was probably one of the only Christians on the team and I had this great opportunity to show the love of Jesus to this guy and to those on the team to see what that looked like. But guys, to be honest, I think I dropped the ball a little bit with this guy. I let my annoyance dictate my actions and not my love. I have no idea where he's at today. 
God may have used someone else to speak into his life, I have no idea. But we can't miss the opportunities we have with the people that God brings into our life that we're to love, especially if they're difficult. It's hard, but it's what we're called to do and we see it in the life of Jesus. Those were some of the disciples that Jesus loved. Those are just a couple of the ones we looked at and those are some of the close ones too. Uh, He probably had a lot of other disciples too with various things that he loved as well. He loved all sorts across the spectrum. Those that were easier to love, those that seemed impossible, had their own challenges. We're also called to love those kinds of people. We're also called to love them. Let's look, look back at the verse. We can throw that back up on the screen. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. It's a command. He said, hey, you guys should probably do this. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Right? So he gave an example. Right? For the disciples there, it's kind of ironic the fact that he's referencing this thing that's about to happen too. And in hindsight, we can see this. We can see the fact he's loved us by dying for us. Right? He, he set aside his life, the greatest act of love. And that's the example that we've been given. There's this sacrifice that's involved. And even we've been given the, the example as the disciples were of washing their feet, of serving other people, loving them by serving them as well. That rabbi-disciple uh, relationship, right, it, it kind of comes back to that a little bit. As the rabbi, it's a, a very honorable position of, of respect and authority, not of serving people. So the fact that he, as the rabbi, served and washed their feet was huge. That wasn't done, right? And he did that. He laid aside that and washed their feet. He served them. And we've been given that example to serve and to sacrifice our lives. And it closes with, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love is the vitality sign. It lets us know that there's life in our relationship with Jesus because that's what it really points back to. The, people, the reason the people uh, know we are followers of Jesus is because they see our love. Right? It's that action that they see. It's not the, the warm thoughts and the great ideas. Right? It's us going and loving those difficult people, loving those that are harder to love but at the same time, we can't get caught up in thinking, just do those actions, right? And this was definitely a question I was wrestling with throughout this week. And so if our actions are the result, but where do I begin in loving these people? Where do I begin in loving those different groups of people? And if you're like me, if I get a task or something to do, like, all right, I'll just do that and I'm good. I'll just get it done, Right? For example, Jonathan Carey last week talked about those five love languages, right? And so this is definitely very helpful for me in understanding how to love my wife, right? We've been married for several months now and we're not quite at a year, so it's still a lot that I'm learning and understanding her love languages is really important. And so for her, it's quality time and words of affirmation. Those are pretty high on her list. And so to love her, I don't just sit there and blankly listen to her as she tells me about her day. And I don't just say, I love you, I love you, or I just don't say it all the time. And that's not actually accomplishing the love language, right? Not just doing the action steps of that. That's not loving her. Same thing with people. We don't just do it and check it off, right? That's my tendency. We are to love people. 
I want to give you guys uh, two things that helped me understand it, uh, two little images, uh, and then I'll end with a challenge, and then we'll be done for this morning, okay? And this first one I got from, it really came to me when we were in our small group uh, a couple weeks ago, and I think this really helps our conversation today, uh, but it's this, a torch. Right, who's seen one of these before, right? Has one in their yard, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, these are great. Um, we're like the wick in the torch, Okay, and so with each of these torches, like this, this is what you light when you want it to burn. Um, and, but inside, there's this like canister. You can see the little picture here. The wick goes all the way down to the bottom of the can, right? It's in there so that when the fuel is put in, it soaks up the fuel, right? And it gets burned here up top. That's how it burns. It needs to be filled with fuel. The wick needs to soak in the fuel for it to burn, right? But eventually though, it runs out, right? You need to refill it. Keep refilling it time and time as you continue to use it so it brings light, warmth, comfort, all that kind of stuff, right? We're also a wick, right? We need to, and to start, the beginning place to start in loving these people is to soak in God's presence. We soak in God's presence so that love becomes a part of who we are. It's not about having a specific plan to go and love people and just doing those things. It's becoming a part of God's, who he, his love, and having that become a part of who we are so that our natural response is to love and to burn with light and comfort. We have to keep refilling, though. Or we have to keep going back to God's presence and just soaking in that presence. We have to keep refilling that. Can't, on the weekends, may not make us throughout the whole week. Let's be honest, loving people is kind of draining sometimes, but we have to keep refilling, right? Spending time in his word, talking to him about his love, being with other people that help us through that and just wrestle with the stuff in God's word together. Right? That's how we soak in God's presence and then burn naturally with a love for others. You guys remember the WWJD bracelets, right? Apparently, they made a sequel bracelet, right? one that kind of answered the question of what would Jesus do? You guys remember the acronym for it? Frog, I think I heard someone say it, frog. Right? They made another bracelet that's like, oh, get another acronym, it's kind of an answer to what would Jesus do. Does anyone know what it stands for? Fully rely on God, yeah, fully rely on God. So what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would fully rely on God. Pretty simple enough, right? Pretty straightforward. We fully rely on God by soaking in his presence. We frog by soaking. This is one way to put it, right? We fully rely on God by soaking in his presence, spending time with him, letting him rub into us, just spending time with him so that our actions naturally become loving to other people. Here's the challenge for this week. Go spend time with someone that's difficult to love. And if you're like me, you're going to need to soak, right? You're going to need to soak some of you longer than others, but you're going to need to soak, right? You're going to need to spend time with Jesus. Spend time soaking in his presence and who he is, just letting him rub into you, right? Whatever that looks like for you. Sometimes there's that sacrifice involved, we have to sacrifice something in our life, sacrifice a little bit of time, one, to first soak with Jesus, but then also to make time to be with those people. 
right? To, to be with them, to love them, invite them into their, our lives. That looks like so many different things. But that's why it's important that our first step is soaking with Jesus and soaking in his presence so that when we come into contact with those people, our natural response is to love. So a torch can light and, and bring illumination, right? And, and brighten up the room. But it can also burn and hurt people and it can smoke and blind people. We need to be careful that we're soaking in the right fuel and that we're burning with a love from God and not on our own strength. We're not filling up our canister with water or anything. We need to be the right fuel, the right time in God's presence and just being with him, letting him rub into our hearts. So go and serve, go and love them, invite them into your life, or mentor them if that's what it looks like right after the service, right? Come into that and see what that looks like. Maybe that's how God wants you to love someone this week, someone that's difficult. But whoever God is calling you to love, let's love them as Jesus does. Let's love more and more. Let's pray.